If we haven't met before, I'm Ashley, and I'm the senior pastor here at Hope. And I got a little touch of laryngitis, but I was so glad that, you know, early this week I had lost my voice. So thank you, Jesus. It's mostly back. Yeah. Hey, I also want to say thank you to everybody who was a part of the stage project this week. Come on. If you're new here, our stage used to be uh, higher, uh, all the height of back there. And this week we lowered it. It's kind of like, to us, symbolic of, you know, tearing a temple veil curtain in half. You know, just eliminating barriers between us and the altar of God. You know, the altar is such a cool, sacred place. You know, everywhere we go, God is there, the Holy Spirit is there, but there is something special that happens in our worship, and it's like rivers of water of the Holy Spirit just flow off of this altar. And it's kind of like if you go to an amusement park and they have, you know, the the wave pool, and the closer you get to, like, the front, the more you're, like, hit with the waves. You guys know what I'm talking about? I don't go up close because I can't swim, so I'm like back in, in the two inches of water like, hey, everybody. But I love it so much because now, you know, we come up here, we worship in what we call just the well of the altar. We get close to what God is doing, and we simply rest in his presence. And what he does, he does things that we cannot. He carries us through life. You know, some of us, I'm looking across the well this week, some of us have been going through some really hard things, you know. There are people who've had loss this week, and they're up front. They're like, God, I need you to carry me. Come on, I'm resting in your presence. Let your waves splash over me. I need more of your living water. So the altar is always open at worship. You know, feel free to come forward. Don't feel like you have to do anything to be up in the front. It's not like extra dancing space or anything. It's just getting up in the splash zone. You can just come up and just stand there and say, hey God, I worship you. Do whatever you want. There are no rules. There is the Bible and and we follow the Bible. We lift it up as the inerrant word of God. All right, so thank you everybody who was a part of that. That's such a, an important project that we had going on this week. We had so many different people involved and I just, I love that heart of generosity to say, I'm gonna serve God's house this week. Come on. I also wanna say thank you to everybody who was a part of Operation Christmas Child. All our boxes are in the foyer. Every time I walk out there, those things are multiplying. I love that. I can't wait to see just how many there are by the end of the day, just of little seeds of hope going all over the world and hearing stories, hopefully in the next six months or so, of what God does with those. So thank you for being a part of that. So today is the last week of ghost stories, holy ghost stories. I was listening to a podcast this week, and they said that stories are the number one way that humans learn, which... I'm not surprised, but the way God made us, he designed us to be able to remember stories more than facts or anything else. Stories are so important to our history, our culture, and and the story of the Bible. It's the story of Jesus. It's one big story, and we're going to see that today. Uh, Today's story is from the last chapter of the book of Luke, 
And uh, this message is actually inspired by something our staff team heard at the ARC conference in New York City a couple weeks ago. Uh, ARC is Association of Related Churches, and we just love to go and learn from other people. You know, we know that we don't know everything. We've got things we can learn, and we love hearing what God is doing all over in his body. And so one of the speakers there, he was talking a little bit about Luke 24, and I'm like, that is so cool, because that goes along with what we're talking about at Hope Church unity of the spirit come on and so I'm going to share a little message inspired by that today so what had happened was in Luke 24 Jesus was crucified three days had passed he was in the tomb dead now Luke says that early that morning Jesus had actually risen from the dead but according to Luke's gospel nobody had seen him yet the ladies at the tomb they had seen angels You know, but Peter, he ran to the tomb. It was empty. They're like, this is perplexing. What's going on? So now we we come across two guys who are processing what had happened. The trauma of Jesus going to the cross, being beaten. The trauma of the one that they thought was the Savior dying. And he's been dead three days. And now people are saying his body isn't there anymore. And this is confusing. And, you know, these two guys, they're probably like, let's go for a walk. We need something to do. You men are especially good at when things, when hard things happen, you're like, we got to do something. They're like, we got to do something with our hands. We got to do something with our bodies. Let's go for a walk. And so they go on a walk so they can process all these crazy events together. They're leaving Jerusalem and they're going to the town of Emmaus because they're like, okay, Jesus He's dead. There's nothing else for us here. Let's go. You know, there is something so comforting about a walk. Before Jay and I had kids, we used to walk uh, around our little town in Liberty, Pennsylvania. It's, it's very small. There's like 200 people there. And we would walk in the country by the cows and just talk about life and process things together. And it's such a, I don't know, just such a fun time to look back on. You guys like walking with somebody, processing? Yeah, walking and talking, or maybe just walking and listening. So these guys, they're out for their walk, and out of nowhere, this stranger just joins them on their walk. Like one minute, it's them. The next minute, there's somebody else there. Like, wow, where did, where did he come from? And he actually helps them to process everything that they've just dealt with. You know, sometimes you need a third party, you need a mentor, you need a counselor, you need a friend, you need a spiritual mother or father, you need somebody to help you process things on your journey. It's a really good thing. So let's look at it. Luke 24 and verse 13. That same day, two of them were walking to the village Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. They were deep in conversation, going over all these things that had happened In the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus came up and walked along with them. But they were not able to recognize who he was. Jesus was in their midst, and they did not recognize him. Jesus is here today. Sometimes we don't recognize him. You know, there are so many times in my life when I was like, God, where were you? And in the moment, I don't recognize him, but looking back, I'm like, oh, you were right there. I didn't see you. That was you the whole time. And that's what these guys, they're experiencing. They're going in the wrong direction. They had given up 
I mean, these are probably not the people Jesus should appear to. He should go back to like the women who were waiting at the tomb or Peter who's looking for him. But he appears to some people going away from him, going away from their faith. And he walks along with them in their wrong direction at their pace. You know the same thing is true when it comes to sharing our faith with people in our lives who don't know Jesus? Point one today is make space to walk at their pace. Make space to walk at their pace. I was going to take a drink so you have time to write that down. We want to meet people where they are at. You know, sometimes it's so easy to be like, hey, you're going the wrong way. Come with me. Turn around and be so abrasive. But that's not what Jesus does. He walks with them where they're going. He doesn't judge them. He doesn't condemn them. He's not like, hey, idiots, wrong way. I'm Jesus. No, no, he walks with them. Where are we walking alongside people who are going the wrong direction? Or are we surrounded by people who think like us and act like us and look like us and vote like us? Where are we interested in other people's lives? People who aren't sure about Jesus. People who have questions. You know who Jesus hung out with? Those people. Come on. Earlier in Luke, he said, I have not called the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke 5.32, I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders, an invitation to a changed life, changed inside and out. He's like, I'm not here for church people. I'm here for people who don't know me, people who don't believe in me. They're just right for Jesus. Just like all of us at some point didn't know Jesus and we were just right for him. We all start off like these two guys, not recognizing Jesus. We're going in our own direction. We do life on our own way. But then Jesus steps into our reality and he joins us on our walk. And maybe it's through a friend or a family member. Maybe it's through just an emptiness in your heart and a longing and a searching and an asking questions. Maybe it's through something you read or hear. Maybe it's through your questions or your disappointments. When you're with someone who's going the opposite direction of Jesus, make space to walk at their pace. Meet them where they're at. Let's continue. Verse 17. Jesus asked, what's this you're discussing so intently as you walk along? They just stood there long-faced like they had lost their best friend. Oh, that's so sad. Then one of them, his name was Cleopas, said, Are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what happened during the last few days? Like, have you been hiding under a rock? This is like all anyone's talking about. Jesus said, what has happened? So funny. Jesus comes up to him and asks them twice, so what's going on? Yeah, I haven't really heard. Why don't you tell me about it? He knew exactly what happened. He's Jesus. He could have pulled a word of knowledge on them and been like, you're talking about Jesus, and here I am. But he didn't. He gave them space to process their disappointments and their doubts and their experiences out loud because that's what they needed. He met them where they were at. Let's look at verse 20. 
They said the things that happened to Jesus, the Nazarene. He was a man of God, a prophet, dynamic in work and word, blessed by both God and all the people. Then our high priests and leaders betrayed him, got him sentenced to death. They crucified him. And we had our hopes up that he was the one the one about to deliver Israel, and it's now the third day since it happened, but now some of our women have completely confused us, those women. Early this morning, they were at the tomb and couldn't find his body. They came back with the story. They had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our friends went off to the tomb to check it and found it empty, just as the women had said. Ayo, the women were right, but they didn't see Jesus. They didn't see Jesus. Point two, what did Jesus do? He let them talk. Make space for people to process. Make space for people to process. Jesus knew exactly what happened, but he needed these guys to get it off their chest, to ask questions, to say their feelings, to talk about what they were going through. There are moments where we just need to talk to other people. That's how God wired us. Think about the Garden of Eden. He made Adam, and God was there with Adam, and God's like, this is not good. You're alone. I will make a helper for you because you need people. Yes, you need God, but you need people because I made you with emotions and I made you with needs. And that's why other people are good. We have a valid need to talk about our feelings, our thoughts, and our questions. So Jesus says, what happened? When people are going through something, we need to ask, what happened? When people are rejecting God, they're mad at God, they're afraid of God, we need to ask, what happened? What happened that made you choose this path? Sometimes we assume we know people's story, but Jesus, he knew everything, and he still asked. We need to ask, what happened? That person that we've been judging, what happened that caused them to make those choices? If I knew their story, would I have made the same choices? Everyone has a story. And we don't walk in a direction opposite of God because it's fun. Yeah, maybe it's fun for a season, but then it's miserable. We do it because something happened. Something happened, a trauma, maybe when we were young, where the people who were supposed to keep us safe, they didn't. Something happened maybe when we were young where the people who were supposed to care for us, who were supposed to love us unconditionally for whatever reason, they couldn't. They didn't have the capacity. And what happened is we didn't get some of the things that we needed in childhood. And we developed coping mechanisms to try to forget those times and move on. You know, most people that I've met with an addiction, they do it because something happened or something didn't happen. They didn't get something they needed. And so they look for what they needed or they look to escape what happened in all the wrong places. God didn't allow those things to happen to you if that's you. That was Satan. Somebody posted this week on Facebook, I'm mad at God. He did this. And I said, honey, don't blame the one who can comfort you. That's Satan that you're mad at. Don't blame God for what Satan does. Don't walk away from God because of the schemes of the enemy of your soul. Don't let him win. Maybe something happened to you, a religious person who doesn't know Jesus but pretends to represent him, hurt you. Maybe they said you weren't good enough and you said, I'm done with God then. I don't need him. 
When my husband's alcoholic father died when he was a little boy, he was five years old, the pastor said something that was so hurtful in those moments and it wasn't helpful. And of course the pastor's a person and a human and they make mistakes, we all make mistakes, but in those moments his innocent little five-year-old brain got that wrong thing stuck in his head. That wasn't God, that was an imperfect person. Don't walk away from God because of people. Maybe something happened, come on. Maybe someone we love who is so well-meaning said something about God that wasn't true. And we were afraid of God. Because I grew up in a house where we never talked about God. I was afraid that maybe God was off limits. Like a taboo subject. Maybe, maybe we're not supposed to talk about God. I know people, they think they're a disappointment to God or they think he's mad at them. I've known Christians who before they met Jesus got an abortion. And they stayed away from church for a long time because Christians condemned their actions and they thought they could be never good enough to come to God. Nothing could be further from the truth. God loves people, all people, no conditions. He created us. He loves his creation. It's not our place to judge. It's our place to listen. Paul says, it isn't my responsibility to judge those outside the church. You don't have to tell people outside the church what they're doing wrong. They already know, just like the people inside the church. Why would we expect people who don't know Jesus to live like they do? Why would we talk to them about their behavior when we could talk to them about our Savior? Come on. Sometimes we take it upon ourselves to get out a soapbox and get on it and talk about certain sins. The Bible says who has broken God's law in one place, they're guilty of breaking the whole law. So there's not like, oh, I got to go after that sin thing for God. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit is the one who speaks to us. Come on. All sin is the same in the eyes of God. Yes, they have different consequences in our lives. There are some things that we do where we mess up, where we need to apologize. And there are some things that we chose to do for many years, and then we need to get counseling and therapy to work through those consequences. Different consequences. Not punishment from God, but he lets us make our choices. Everybody has a story. We want to ask people's story. Don't assume that you know why someone believes what they believe. If you'd been through what they'd been through, maybe you'd believe what they believe. That was point two, make space for people to process. So Jesus, he's walking with these guys in the wrong direction. He asks them questions, and then after they speak, after he hears their story, after he hears their hurts and their emotions and their confusion, then he responds. Luke 24, 25. Jesus is a little harsh here. He's Jesus. He can get away with this. I don't recommend you be like this. He said to them, you're so thick-headed, so slow-hearted. Why can't you simply believe all that the prophets said? Don't you see that these things had to happen? The Messiah had to suffer and only then enter into his glory. Then he started at the beginning with the books of Moses and went on through all the prophets, pointing out everything in the scriptures that referred to him. So Jesus, now he makes the whole conversation about Jesus. Every page in the Bible, it's about Jesus. He's in the Old Testament, concealed, the New Testament, revealed. This whole story is him. 
My kids, they have a Bible. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible, and the tagline is, Every Story Whispers His Name. I love that. It goes through the Old Testament and the New Testament, and every story, it points to Jesus, because that's what the Bible does. Let's look at John 1, 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus, in Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning was Jesus. At the cross was Jesus. Come on, right now in heaven is Jesus. Come on. What a cool conversation. Now, Jesus proceeds to teach these two guys everything in the Bible that pointed to Jesus. And there's so many things. He's like, you know the man that was promised to be born of a woman to crush Satan's head in the Garden of Eden? That was Jesus. The offerings in Leviticus, you know, the lambs that were sacrificed, that depicted his perfect work on the cross. Jesus, the Passover lamb in Exodus that protected the Jews, the blood on the doorposts as they were coming and going, that was the blood of Jesus. God provided a ram to be sacrificed in Isaac's place, just like Jesus was sacrificed in our place, God's one and only son. The scarlet cord that protected Rahab in the walls of Jericho so that the army passed by her, that was representing Jesus. Jesus was the fourth man in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was rejected by the Jews the same way Joseph was rejected by his brothers. Jesus was dead three days like Jonah was in the whale three days and then he came out and then Jesus was resurrected. Come on. In Ruth, Jesus is represented by Boaz, our kinsman redeemer, the one who has the right to redeem us. In Ecclesiastes, Jesus is the meaning of life. In Song of Songs, he's the lover of our soul. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband who we keep cheating on, who we keep stepping out on. Even though we betray him over and over, he is faithful. He loves us unconditionally. Isaiah talks about how he would be led like a lamb to the slaughter, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, we are healed. Psalms talks about how soldiers would cast lots for his clothes and his followers, they would be scattered. Jesus, he quoted the Psalms on the cross. He taught these guys probably that. He says, hey, in Psalm 22, 1, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 31, 5, at the cross, Jesus said, into your hands, I commit my spirit. The entire Bible points to Jesus. And I imagine there's so many more things that he said, right? There's so many pieces I left out there. But over and over, he's like, and this is Jesus, and that is Jesus. And then Jesus said, this is the cross. Are you guys getting it yet? And they're like, wow, that's crazy. The whole Bible points to Jesus. But he's still dead. He's like, yeah, I'm going to get to that. The entire Bible points to Jesus. One story, 66 books, 40 authors, three languages, over 1,500 years, it points to Jesus. Come on. And the cool thing about the Bible is so many things reference each other. We're going to put a picture on the screen for you. So there are 63,779 cross references 
cross-references from the Old to the New Testament. So um, all of those pretty colored rainbow lines there, they're the Old Testament and the New Testament referencing one another. You can see there's tons of references there. The bottom, the bar graph, that's the books of the Bible. Uh, the first uh, bar there that's white, that's Genesis. If you keep looking across the bottom, uh, the next really white one towards the last three quarters there, um, that's the beginning of the New Testament. And so um, every time the, ch the color changes, it's a different book. Um, the length at the bottom there when they go down, like those roots there, uh, that's how long each book of the Bible is uh, in each chapter. Uh, some, Psalm 119 there is that really long one. <laughs> David's like, yeah, I got the longest chapter in the Bible. It's awesome. Um, so that's the whole Bible and all of it. It references back on itself in a way that humanity could never do. But really, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? Come on. Every connection between the text, the old and the new, every prophecy fulfilled is indicated with a colored line. This shows us visually what the Bible does textually. It's one story culminating in the resurrection of Jesus. It does not contradict itself in any way. If there's a verse that you have a question about, it's an invitation to take a deep dive and figure out what it means. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Point three, talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus is as simple as that. Yes, we walk with people where they're going in their direction and their pace. Yes, we let them process. We ask them why they believe what they believe and what's their background. But then we tell them about Jesus. Without talking about Jesus, we're not helping anyone. Every lost person that Jesus hung out with, they changed their mind about Jesus because he taught them how he was the living water, how he was the bread of life. He forgave their sins. 1 Peter 3.15 says, If anyone asks you why you believe as you do, be ready to tell him and do it in a gentle and respectful way. Tell them your Holy Ghost story. When they tell you their things they're going with, say, I can relate. I've been disappointed. I'm not perfect. I've been wounded. Man, if I had been taught what you have been taught, I could see why you believe what you believe. But let me tell you the truth about Jesus. And if someone puts you on a pedestal, you got to deconstruct that thing. And one time I met a lady who wanted to come to church here, but she said, I can't. Those people are too perfect. I could never even come in the doors. We've all heard those people say, oh, the church is going to burn down when I walk in there. We have to show people we're not perfect. We're following Jesus and he's changing us and he does things beyond us. But we don't make him inaccessible. We're not like the Pharisees, like, oh, you just have to be perfect to do everything right to come to church. No, no, no. We come to church just as we are. We share our stories. That's why I'm always telling you guys stories to remind you we're all the same. We're all human. And we remember stories better anyway. If you're a perfect person with no problems, how can anyone who is not perfect come to Jesus? Now, I'm not saying you need to vomit up everything that's ever happened to you, but just be relatable. Craig Rochelle says people would rather follow a leader who's always real than one who's always right. You don't have to have all the answers. Let me just take that off of you. You don't have to be perfect, but you do need to share your story. You have a story that needs to be told. 
And don't share it in a weird way, okay? Paul says, 1 Corinthians 14, 19, I'd rather say five words that everyone can understand and learn from than say 10,000 that sound to others like gibberish. Jesus wasn't weird when he was talking to them. He told them his story. And what happened is they wanted to be around him more. That's the thing about our stories. They draw people to Jesus. They're like, wow, I want to be around people who know Jesus. Luke 24 and verse 28. They came to the edge of the village where they were headed. He acted as if he were going on, but they pressed him, stay, stay and have supper with us. It's nearly evening. The day is done. So he went in with them. And here's what happened. He sat down at the table with them. Taking the bread, he blessed and broke and gave it to them. At that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him. And then he disappeared. This is so cool. They wanted him to stay, so he stayed. And he sat down with them at dinner, and basically they did communion. And he's told the guys everything in the Bible that points to Jesus and even how Jesus would say these things on the cross that are exactly what he said and still their eyes weren't opened. It wasn't until they sat down and he, he broke the bread and their eyes were opened. They knew Jesus. There's another place in the Bible that talks about our eyes being opened. It was when Adam and Eve, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and their eyes were opened to evil and they knew that they were naked and they felt shame their eyes were open to their failures and their shortcomings their lack and their inadequacies their sin their shame their eyes were open but these guys their eyes were opened to the risen Jesus the fulfillment of every promise come on the fulfillment of every promise of God in scripture, everything that he just told them was about Jesus. They're suddenly like, it's Jesus. It's true. Every promise fulfilled. He restored everything that was lost in the garden. The disciples, they're eating the bread and Jesus is the bread of life, the tree of life. What God wanted people to experience when we take communion, we're eating from the tree of life. We're remembering Jesus. Last verse, Luke 24, 32. Back and forth, these guys talked. Didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road? As he opened up the scriptures for us? Were not our hearts set ablaze when we heard the word of God pointing to Jesus? You know, we don't really cause anybody to turn to Jesus. Yes, we tell them our story. But God, he draws people to himself through the Holy Spirit. And that person that you've been worried about and praying for, God loves them so much more than you do. And he's working in their life. And he wants to use you, yes. But ultimately, we cannot change anyone's heart. It's the Holy Spirit who does that. I was listening to a message by Pastor Robert Morris, and he said, when I was eight years old, a preacher said to me, do you want to go to heaven and be with Jesus, or do you want to burn in hell? And he's like, I wasn't a stupid little kid, so I said, uh, I want heaven and Jesus, please, thank you. But he said, I wasn't really saved at that time, because it wasn't the Holy Spirit who brought me to Jesus. 
It was a fear of some consequences that somebody scared into me. He said, my wife, though, when she was eight, she had a soft heart. And someone told her about Jesus, and she wanted to submit her whole life to him. She wasn't turning to him out of a weird fear thing or anything else. She was turning to him because the Holy Spirit was drawing her. And he's like, my wife got saved when she was eight. He's like, it took me a few more years to say, God, I want to trust you with my will. I want to know Jesus. The Holy Spirit's the one who does that work in us. Only God takes a heart of stone and turns it into a heart of flesh. Paul said, I plant seeds. Apollos, he waters. He's my friend. He waters some seeds. But God, he makes them grow. Just like him. We're planting seeds all the time. We're watering seeds all the time. But God, he makes them grow. He's the one who started a good work. He's the one who's going to see it to completion. He's the one who's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He does things beyond us. And as we sit here in church, as we read our Bible, as we hear someone's Holy Ghost story, God sets our heart on fire. There's a reason we come here and we feel so excited, so fueled up, so on fire. Holy Spirit does that. There's a reason that when we spend time reading our Bible every day, our hearts feel renewed. Holy Spirit does that. In a relationship with Jesus, it starts by believing in Him. Let's close our eyes. We're going to bow our heads. I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus. Or maybe you did the thing when you were a kid and you're like, yeah, I want Jesus, like Robert Morris, but you're like, I never knew him. Maybe you wanna know him today. The Bible says we believe with our hearts and we pray, we confess with our mouths. And so we like to pray out loud together. If you'd like to trust in Jesus, just pray with us. We say, God, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the body of Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Show me how to live for you. Teach me with your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.